Welcome to episode 369 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find all things afterlife, including attending one of our free online Sunday gatherings, complete with a medium demonstration in each and every one. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to a new friend who has contributed more than 20,000 articles to 50 newspapers, magazines, journals, and books for over 70 years, mostly in the sports arena, but listen to the titles of some of the books he's written. The Articulate Dead, The Afterlife Revealed, Transcending the Titanic, Resurrecting Leonora Piper, How Science Discovered the Afterlife. Dead Men Talking, Afterlife Communication from World War I, and his latest book, No One Really Dies, 25 Reasons to Believe in the Afterlife. And I think you can see why I'm excited to say, Michael Tim, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Well, thank you very much. But I I wanted to correct you on that 20,000, not 20,000, it's 2,000 articles in about 50 magazines. You yeah. know what? I'm excited to talk to you. So it was me that okay. made the mistake. <laughs> no, no problem. Well, happy to have you here. And you are in Hawaii, correct? Right. Kailua, Hawaii. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Opposite well, side. It's a nice place. I've lived here for 50 years. I'm from the uh, San Francisco area originally, but um, but I moved here in, in my, my early 30s and Outside of four years in Oregon, I've been here ever since. A great place to call home. Uh, right. A little expensive, though. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Well, I'm yeah. fascinated because we haven't met yet, and I think we should have by now. So thankfully, our good friend Roberta Grimes introduced us. But if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how a nice man like you started investigating the afterlife, I think it's pretty amazing. Okay, well, I didn't have a near-death experience or anything like that. It just sort of came upon me gradually. I I grew up as a Catholic, um, stayed with the Catholic Church until I was about 30. Um, Didn't feel I was getting much out of that and tried a few Protestant churches and um, came up blank there and just sort of forgot about religion for the next 15 years or so and then when I turned 50, I thought, I've got to get involved with some religion. You know, I just, you know, I need something um, in the way of um, spiritual teaching and so forth. And and um, I, I really couldn't find I read Dr. Moody's book uh, on uh, near-death experiences, and that was meaningful to me. But uh, I just couldn't find a group or anything that appealed to me. But then I was, um, this is 1989, I was coach of the uh, Hawaii team. They had a big uh, national event in New York City. Uh, each state had a team of runners running around Manhattan in a, in a relay race, and I was a, the Hawaii coach. And just coincidentally, my wife uh, had a conference in Atlanta, Georgia the same weekend. So as soon as the event was finished in New York, I jumped on a train and headed uh, down to Atlanta to meet with her and drive around the south but anyway on the um stopping in washington dc i got off the train and you know shopped for a book to read the rest of the um 
train ride, and I came upon um, one about reincarnation. Uh, I knew nothing about the subject. Anyway, I read that on the um, the rest of the trip, and uh, that that started all. I started looking for other books. I'm not beginning. I'm not beginning reincarnation right now. I, I have a different view on reincarnation, but uh, that started all. I went from there to near-death experiences, and then to mediumship and deathbed visions and so forth. And it's just something that that grew on me. And since I majored in journalism in college, I started writing about it um, about 19, uh, late 1990s, I guess. And after I retired from my regular job in 2002, I started writing more about it. The books came and here I am. Well, it seems like you have a huge passion. Oh, can we talk reincarnation just for a second? There is a debate sure, on both sure. sides. So I'm just, I would just be happy to hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, I um, th- there are three or four different views of um, reincarnation. There's the orthodox view, the one that says we live a life now, that we die, then we um, spend some time on the other side, 20 or 30 years or whatever, then come back as another personality. Um, that's the orthodox one, I call it. Uh, there's the group soul theory that says that we're we're all part of a group soul on the other side, and only a very small fraction of the personality comes back. The, the, great, the higher self, which is uh, most of the personality, stays on the other side, and just a small part comes back. Um, there's the possession one that says that the cases we hear about reincarnation um, are really low-level spirits possessing people, not necessarily low-level in the sense of being evil, but just unadvanced spirits um, that are taking over the person and and um, making it seem as though, you know, the person's reporting the past life. And uh, there's, the, there's the time element one that says that we live all lives at the same time. We're living past lives, present lives, and future lives all at the same time, which is very difficult to comprehend and is beyond me. And... Um, I like the number two, group soul, I like it, and it's more a matter of of emotion rather than reason, because I don't want to come back, uh, you know, I I, I just uh, don't want to start all over again, so it's, again, it's, it's more emotion rather than reason on my part. Oh, yeah, well, it's been a big debate upon our listeners and in our different groups and things, and some people believe that the person who claims to be reincarnated, they're just highly mediumistic and they're tapped into someone who did live. So that's one of the things that I've thrown out there as well. Also, well, that's, that's the possession one. Oh, possession. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's one thing that I believe is, you know, if whatever empowers people to live a life here, take it, you know, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't fit, don't, but when you think about how many more people are living on this earth than did hundreds of years ago, you know, what would explain for all these other souls? So anyways. Yeah. I, I don't know. They've, they've all been, you know, over there in the afterlife uh, and just gradually reincarnating. I, I, I don't know. You know, I yeah. really haven't given that much thought to that. I just, um, you know, I, I was heavy into reincarnation those first few years, but I just haven't paid much attention to it in recent years. 
Yeah. My my primary focus has been mediumship um, and deathbed visions and and near death experiences, but I've just avoided reincarnation as much yeah. as possible. No, it's it's quite all right. You know, I I always get a mom that who's had a child who's passed and think that they can't communicate with their child because they've reincarnated. And I say, oh well, if that's the case, it would be many many years down the road, but. Anyways, we let's talk about what you're passionate about because that's not one of my most passionate subjects either. What would you like to talk about? I know we had talked, uh, you messaged a little bit about language, but what kinds of mediumship are you interested in? Because here we talk about physical mediumship, trans mediumship, and evidential mediumship. Yeah, well, I, I'm mostly interested in the old mediumship as opposed to the clairvoyance that we hear about mm-hmm. today. I mean, when you, when you talk to people today, uh, you know, the, the, and they talk about mediumship, they're talking about John Edward or Lisa Williams or something, the, the things they've seen on TV, um, which is not the same as most of the mediumship of yesteryear. I, I put the um, uh, time uh, barriers uh, as 1850 to... 1920, I think that that's when the the best mediumship came through. The best psychical research took place between those years, and then after 1920, it started dying out. And parapsychology replaced psychical research uh, during the 1930s, and they wanted nothing to do. Parapsychologists wanted nothing to do with um, um, life after death or spirits or anything else, and so it just sort of went away. Um, uh, research into the mediumships and you know came back with dr gary schwartz and the um uh, and julie weichel in the night late 1990s and early 2000s but they they were involved primarily with clairvoyance not with trans mediums we just uh, don't have any real research that i know of going on with with the mediums that i'm interested in uh, the ones before 1920 uh, these days, there might be some, but I, I'm not aware of it. Right. And as that, oh, go ahead. You no, know, you know, I was just going to point out that my, my there's, there's a legal doctrine um, or principle called raise judicata, means it has been adjudicated, and so my my position is that the case for life after death was made before 1920. Um, the doctrine of raise judicata applies to it. It has been adjudicated. Everything that's come to us since 1920 in the way of um, near-death experiences, reincarnation studies, deathbed visions, um, uh, whatever else um, adds to it. It's icing on the cake, but my position is that the case was made before 1920, but unfortunately it was just never recognized. Um, It was resisted by both religion Orthodox religion and science, and and so just and and the media, um, so it was just never recognized, um, and very few people know about it. So and that's it, that's been my my purpose is to try and resurrect all that old stuff in my six books, and um, you know bring it to the attention of people. I like the old stuff. One of my good friends, Scott Milligan, he's a modern day physical medium and trance medium. We do trance demonstrations every Friday online. People can join us. And I've sat in dozens of his seances. And I, in the beginning, thought, 
this can't possibly be real. It just seems to be something that's so far out of imagination. And I think a lot of people, when they hear a term like seance, ectoplasm, and those kind of things, they chalk it up to Ghostbusters and can't possibly be. But there were really men of science back in those days testing these mediums, right? Right. right. Sir Oliver Lodge, who was a world-renowned physicist, is my favorite. Uh, James, Dr. James Hislop, who was a psychologist, um, is probably the best uh, among them, uh, uh, the most involved from 1900 to 1920. Uh, Richard, Dr. Richard Hodgson, um, Professor William James of Harvard, um, uh, I, uh, half a dozen others I could name. They, they were all men of science or very esteemed scholars. Well, I think the conversation's coming back. And I know myself, Roberta Grimes, and some others who know this to be true, we want to interview people like you to hear your story and what you've found. And there's always someone listening. In fact, more than someone, most people listening to this show have a loved one who's passed and are really looking for reasons to believe. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I met so many of them in my age. I'm 84 now, and, you know, so I've known a lot of people over the years, and, and um, um, my parents, uh, I remember them. They were devout Catholics, went to Mass every Sunday, but they didn't want to, you know, I tried to talk to them about this, and they didn't want to hear about it. You know, it was... It was you know, as most of my Christian friends say, you know, it's, you know, it's demonic. Um, and, you know, the church says don't pay any attention to it. But one of the big things that I always point out to them is that they, they rely on Deuteronomy. It says uh, there's something in Deuteronomy that says um, the dead know nothing and you should not com- communicate with the dead. Well, the original Hebrew um, that that was translated from said the spiritually dead know nothing it was referring to earthbound spirits don't pay attention to earthbound spirits not to all the dead and then there are other passages in the bible that says you should um you know uh discern the messages or whatever i mean how are you going to discern them if you don't listen to them in the first place but there are five or six different passages that, that counter the idea that you shouldn't be speaking with the dead. Right. I've I've talked to people who are biblical scholars, and they said how many times the Bible has been changed and what was said. And mm-hmm. so I grew up Catholic myself, went to church sun- every Sunday, went to Catholic school. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably the last thing a good Catholic girl would be doing is uh, <laughs> doing this. But I'm... I'm here to empower people to have a good life and know the reality of of the afterlife. So you had mentioned languages. I just want to hear some of your reasons why you believe in the afterlife, if you wouldn't mind sharing, because I know you have a book, your latest one, calling called No One Really Dies, 25 Reasons to Believe in the Afterlife. So you have a few. Yeah, well, I, uh, five of the chapters I touch upon mediums who... Uh, through whom different languages came. I think that the um, the first one was Laura Edmonds, um, who was the daughter of Judge John Edmonds, who was probably, I consider him the first real psychical researcher. He started researching mediums in 1850 uh, after his wife died, and 
he was out to debunk them all. I, I, I guess that, you know, so many people had told him, go to this medium, go to that medium and so forth and see if you can, can, you know, contact your wife. And, you know, he was a good Christian and he just didn't buy into it. So his objective was to debunk them all, but he investigated for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, I forget the exact time. And he came to the conclusion that it was real. And during that time, his daughter, Laura, I don't know what her exact age was, but I think she was a teenager. She started, um, um, speaking different languages. I have a list of them here, Spanish, French, Greek, Italian, Portuguese, Latin, and Hungarian, some of the languages that came to her. Um, and Judge Edmonds in his book, he wrote the book, he and his, um, uh, co-author, Dr. George Dexter wrote a, probably the first book, and it's one I'd really recommend. You can find it online, you know, among used books. It's, um, Spiritualism, Parts 1 and 2. Um, he tells of a little, um, a time when his daughter was receiving messages from a young boy in Greece, or a boy in Greece who had just died and passing the messages on to the the father who was sitting there with her. The, well, the father didn't even know his son had died three days earlier. And this was coming through in Greek, which Laura didn't know. She didn't know any of the languages. She had taken a couple of classes in French in, in high school, but that, you know, English and French were the only languages she knew. And they said they, she... The messages came through in Greek and for others in Portuguese, Italian, Latin, Hungarian, whatever. Uh, so that's one. Um, Etta, Etta Wright, her last name, W-R-I-E-D-T, to me is probably the, the best medium on, on record. Um, her um, history is set forth by um, uh a British admiral who retired and became a psychical researcher, William Usbon Moore. He tells quite a bit about her in his uh, two books. And she she knew only one language, and he called it Yankee. Um, mm -hmm. um, she was from Detroit, Michigan, and um, she was a direct voice medium. A lot of people don't know the difference between direct voice and trans voice. Um, uh, trans voice, a uh, good example was Leonora Piper, where you know the voice actually came through her vo vocal cords. It usually changed. I mean, if 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 a male was um, speaking, her her voice changed completely from a feminine voice to a male voice. Uh, not always, though. There are differences in that. Uh, but in the direct voice, the the voice comes through usually three or four feet from. From the person, you know, the the, the medium, Miss uh, Mrs. Wright, she could be talking to someone next to her while voices from two or three different spirits were coming through at the same time to different people sitting around her. But uh, she, uh, she, voices came through in French, German, Italian, Spanish, Norwegian, Dutch, Arabic, Serbian, and Croatian. Croatian. Um, so, you know, the, the skeptic might say, well, she knew all those languages. She just didn't let, you know, let anybody know that she knew them. Yeah. How many people know Norwegian, Serbian, Croatian can speak it fluently? Not um, too many. Yeah. So that, yeah, to me, she's the, she's the best example, but you know, there's others, Cora Scott, who to me is the most unknown, most fascinating medium, um, from the old, old uh, from the, from the 19th century. Um, she started giving, lectures um at age 11 
um, on every conceivable subject, scientific, philosophical, historical, political, you know, subject she, she had never been exposed to. And some of them came through in foreign languages. In one case, um, um, she was addressing a deaf man, and she started giving messages to him in sign language, which she had never been you know, familiar with. So, and then also she was on tour in, um, this is later, not when she was a teenager, but in her early 30s, she toured um, the United Kingdom and uh, in Scotland, she started speaking in a very Scottish brogue. So what her, her biographer explains that she was actually controlled by a group of 12 very knowledgeable spirits that they took over her body when she was in trance and uh, they were the ones speaking not her and um so that's a she's a you know if, if, if you don't know much about cora scott i'd suggest you get you know find a book about her uh, i i consider her the most fascinating of all of them yeah i'm not familiar with her yeah. so you know she also cora scott richmond her married name was richmond so um yeah, you probably might find more on Cora Scott Richmond, but there there are there are others. Um, well, the, the most famous one, the most difficult one to grasp, is George Valentine, who um, is said to have brought through Confucius speaking in an ancient Chinese dialect, and this happened in New York. It's hard to believe. I mean, but we've got Professor. Uh, Neville Wyment, who was a um, Oxford professor of languages, who wrote a book about it. He was he happened to be in New York at the time and was um, uh, studying the languages of the American Indian. He, he is said to have been able to speak thirty different languages. Um, he was contacted by Judge William Cannon, who was a, a New York judge at the time, and his wife was very much into to um, having seances in her home and had George Valentine over there on several occasions. And during those occasions, language, you know, somebody started speaking in Chinese. Nobody, nobody knew what he was saying and they weren't even sure it was Chinese. So anyway, uh, Judge Cannon heard about Professor Wyman being in New York and asked him if he could come to his home and, and uh, figure it all out. Well, Wyman was reluctant. I mean, he he didn't know exactly what was going on, but he accepted the dinner invitation. And then, um, you know, after dinner, um, they uh, sat around a little circle, and um, various voices came through in different languages. Um, Wyman translated them, and then about the fifth or sixth one, I think it was, was uh, in an ancient Chinese dialect. Well, Wyman knew. Uh, modern Chinese dialect. I guess from that, he he could figure out some of what the person was saying in the ancient Chinese dialect, and he asked him for an identity, and um, the person gave. Uh, I can't even remember Confucius' his real name now, but he <laughs> he gave he gave the name. Um, Wyman thought it was a, some kind of joke. He couldn't figure out you know who was playing a joke on him. Uh, but it just, you know, he, he, he wasn't buying into it. But it, he, and he kept questioning um, the spirit claiming to be Confucius. 
um, on he was uh, Wyman was also a Confucius scholar. He knew he he could recite some of the Confucius poems and so forth. Um, he started putting questions to him, and the the Confucius changed from a mo- from an ancient dialect to a modern dialect, and answered all the questions uh, questions which. Wyman said there are probably only five or six people in the world who would know the answers to those questions, but you know they came through. In fact, in one of them, um, the spirit recited 15 verses of a Confucius poem. So to suggest that the medium George Valentine, who was described as a very simple New Yorker, uh, uneducated and so forth, um, studied all you know studied uh, ancient and modern chinese dialects and and 14 other languages that came through over the next uh, next 11 sittings i think it was wyman sat with uh visited the the um canon home on 11 occasions to suggest that that valentine studied all these languages and you know didn't let on they knew him and knew you know memorized the poems of confucius and everything else not knowing what was going to be asked of him at the time that that's uh that's a real stretch yeah so but you know it, it's so so far out that people just are not prepared to accept that it's really hard to get your head around that that could be possible i believe it and i i can't imagine anybody would take that time to memorize and all that but for a skeptic, that has to be the only explanation. You know, we're taught yep. when things seem too good to be true, they probably are, but not the case. Yeah, but the other thing to remember here in the theory is that maybe it wasn't Confucius. Maybe it was a group soul representing Confucius. That's what Sir Oliver Lodge's theory was, that that these group souls form on the other side representing um, certain schools of thought, including the Confucius school of thought, and that that the communication was coming from the Confucius group soul, not from Confucius himself. So that that's a possibility. Either way, it represents there's something much bigger going on than meets the right. eye. Right. Wow. And now, will you tell us who Leonardo Leonora Piper was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book on Leonora Piper. To me, um, um, with the possible exception of Edda Wright, who I mentioned, uh, I, I yeah, uh, she's probably the best medium on record and, and the most studied by the Society for Psychical Research. Um, she um, uh, was discovered supposedly by William James, Professor William James of Harvard, um, around 1883 or 84, I think it was. And he was astounded. He was, uh, you know, a, a materialist for the most part at that time. And, um, he didn't have time to really study her. So they arranged for, arranged for uh, Richard Hodgson, who was a, um, who was teaching in England at the time to come over and, and um, managed the American Society for Psychical Research, and primarily his job was to study Mrs. Piper, uh, which he did for 18 years. They, uh, um, according to the records, he sat with her on the average of three times a week for 18 years. He started as a debunker. 
he was out uh, to uh, prove she was a fraud, but she, um, you know, he, he quickly changed his mind that, you know, this was the real deal. The only problem is that at that time, people just didn't want to believe it, believe that spirits were behind it all. So they theorized that a secondary personality was coming through uh, her and giving all this information. It wasn't a spirit. It was, uh, she was, she had multiple personalities, so to speak. And um, this other personality was somehow got hold of the information telepathically and was feeding it back to the sitter, the, the person that's sitting with her. So that, that was a real stretch. But the, the thing that really changed Hodgson on this and changed others, including Sir Oliver Lodge, was in 1892 when um, a spirit named who had been named George Pellew, P-E-L-L-E-W, he was a member of the American Society for Psychical Research. Uh, he was a journalist uh, and a lawyer as well. And he, he died at age 32 in a little accident, uh, falling down some steps uh, near his home in Manhattan. And about six weeks, I think it was, after he died, he, be- he began communicating with, with Hodgson um, through Mrs. Piper. Uh, Hodgson then arranged for people who knew Palou to come and sit with Mrs. Piper. Um, and over a period of time, he brought 30 different people who knew George Palou. And each time, you know, the person sat down, he, he wouldn't tell Leonora Piper who was coming or what the purpose was or anything else. I mean, she was blind as to who was sitting with her. Yet, when she, she'd go into a trance, and the voice would start speaking to her, George Palou in this case, he'd welcome the person by name. Hi, hi, uh, <laughs> Phil, uh, how, how you doing? Or hi, Jim, how you, how you doing? Or something like that. So she immediately recognized out of the 30 people that he brought to sit with Mrs. Piper, 29, uh, he recognized 29 of them. The only one he didn't recognize was a woman who, she was a 12-year-old girl at the time that, she accompanied her mother um, to meet George Pelou. So he did. She, she had grown from 12 to, I don't know how old she was at that time, 30 or whatever. So she was the only one he didn't recognize. But as soon as she told him who she was or who her mother was, he immediately remembered her mother and gave details about her mother. So pretty hard, 30 out of 30, to say that's fraud. I would think so. Oh my gosh! And then mm-hmm. in Dead Man Talking, afterlife communication from World War One. What did you find out there? Yeah, actually, I I took um, six different books and just summarized them. The the, the primary one here again, Sir Oliver Lodge. Uh, his son Raymond was killed in World War One, and um, began communicating with Sir Oliver and his wife. Uh, through different mediums, including Gladys Osborne Leonard, who is known as the Mrs. Piper of England. Um, And it was a very popular book in 1916, and it offered much evidential information um, um, from Raymond that, you know, again, Sir Oliver was a a famous physicist. He was um, uh, also a professor of uh, physics at... um, 
not, I, I can't think of the name. Uh, That's okay. I, I, I don't remember the name of the, of the university, but anyway, uh, he was very skeptical in the beginning, and there was no doubt in his mind that his son Raymond was communicating with him at the time. So that that's the primary story in Dead Men Talking. Oh, that's great. And what about Transcending the Titanic? Is that based afterlife-based as well? Uh, yeah, it's primarily uh, about William T. Stead, sometimes pronounced Steed, um, and his experiences um, after. He, he was one of the passengers on the Titanic who went down with the, with the ship. And uh, he began communicating with uh, various people after his death uh, uh, and giving very evidential information. So that's it's mostly about him, but about how others approach death on the uh, Titanic, uh, some conversations they had and so forth. But that was I wrote that about eight years ago, so I'm, I'm vague as to what I actually wrote right That's now. That's not a problem at all. The fact yeah. that you've written, is it eight books and seven of them are of the afterlife? Something uh, like that? Yeah, or less. seven afterlife books and one one on distance running. Wow. So it's okay. You've got a lot out there, what you remember, yeah. what you don't. The... Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite stories from deathbed visitations or near-death experiences that you've research, researched? Um, not. I, I have many, but you know, I'm trying to think of. Um, I put you on the spot. When I, I, I've talked to a, to a, you know, I've interviewed a number of people who've had near-death experiences. Um, um, one I prefer not to mention his name that died not too long ago, but he. He recalled uh, having a uh, life review, recalling every moment in his life, um, you know, coming back to him. And this seems to be, you know, uh, have happened with a number of people who reported near-death experiences. Um, um, they remember every every moment of their life in detail. Uh, the, the story of Tom Sawyer has been written about and I, he wrote a book himself I think and it's, to me is one of the most impressive that he recalled um, um, getting in a fight with an he, he was driving his hot rod I think he was 18 or 19 at the time he was driving his hot rod and came to a stop um, and almost hit a pedestrian an elderly man and the elderly man started swearing at him and I guess Tom jumped out of his car or whatever and hit the guy and uh, that came back to him in his life review. And in fact, he felt the punch himself. Uh, he felt his own punch coming in his face. Uh, and then he, he knew everything about the man. He, he knew the man um, at the time. His wife had just died and he was, you know, drinking, I guess. And and um, there, there are other details that came through. That, that, to me, is one of the most impressive ones. But there... There have been other stories like that where people remember everything that ever happened to them during their lifetimes. And they get to see their life from the impact they made on another person. I've heard that right. so many times, like feeling that punch. And then I also find it very interesting that people have had near-death experiences. No matter when they have them, they're more vivid than any memory. That's that's my understanding. Um, you know, And they remember many things they never even thought about. Um, 
during their lifetime. When you get to be my age, uh, I you know I spend a lot of time thinking about um, um, the pe- the past, um, what I might have done to change, you know, take a different route or whatever that uh, something that didn't work out. But there are many things I don't remember. I, I happen to be cleaning out my um, my little library. I have a spare bedroom. I call my library and. Uh, my my parents kept every little um, letter I ever sent them from when I was in the military, or and you know plus other things. They had three boxes of old letters, even from the 1920s, but when my father wrote to my mother and so forth. But anyway, I came upon a number of my letters and started reading them, and I was relating facts to them that I have no no recollection of. I, I remember one that. Um, that uh, when I was in Quantico, Virginia, I um, told them I went to a football game with two friends, and after I came out of the game, my car wouldn't start, and I had to call AAA to get the car going. I had absolutely no recollection of that football game, um, no recollection of who the friends might have been or the, the car problem. But and you know, it just got me to thinking that there's so much that's happened in my life that I have absolutely no memory of, and. But these things come come back to you. I mean, not necessarily if they're, uh, there, there was no consequence to them, but um, so many of the near-death experiences remember little details that they wouldn't otherwise uh, remember. Yeah, amazing. Have you had any of your own friends or loved ones come through a medium? Um, or yeah, signs? One, my Yeah, in Chapter 1 of my... Um, book uh, i talk about my my george experience i was um in england with my wife we were on vacation there and we were going to drive all you know started in london and dri- drive all over the uk and we started out our uh, the first se- first or second day we were there uh we went, decided to go for a walk outside of our hotel and walked about you know three or four blocks in one direction and we saw the um, an old Victorian home there, the Spiritualist Association of Great Britain, and it had a little sign out there that said clairvoyant readings from at three o'clock and six o'clock every day. Well, it was about two thirty the time we were walking on our walk, and so we decided to go in and see what it was all about um, for the three o'clock reading. There were about um, you know, about fifteen people, I guess. And it was held in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle room. They had three different uh, halls there in that um, Victorian home. And um, a middle-aged woman came in. She was a clairvoyant. And she started uh, out with somebody in front saying, I've got somebody here He's saying his name is uh, Richard. And uh, he was with you. Um, you were on a recent trip to, to Paris. And he was with you when you did this and that, and the person was nodding, yes, 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 I know who you're talking about, yes, I, I just came back from Paris, and so forth. Well, this went on for, you know, four or five other people, and then she came to me and said, I've got a George here for you, um, but he's not coming through too uh, too strongly. Um, and, I, you know, I tried to think, who would, you know, I knew, I could recall two Georges who were friends, as far as I knew, they were still alive, and as it turned out, they were still alive at the time. But I just, I couldn't figure out who she was talking about, and I kept shaking my head, and she couldn't get any more. Um, she said, "Well, I'm sorry, I, he's just not coming through 
very well. So she went to my next to my wife and said that uh, I've also got a George for you uh, on your father's side. I don't know if it's your father or somebody related to him, but he says he looks very much, or they say you look very much like him or resemble him. And then she stopped and corrected herself. She says, no, somebody says you resemble him. And that was very evidential to my wife because her mother had always told her that she looks much more, she resembles her uncle George more than she does her father. Oh. So that, that really, really um, struck home with, with her. I mean, she was very skeptical at the time. And, you know, more than anything else, that convinced her that, you know, not only the fact that Uncle George said that, but that the fact that the medium corrected herself um, and um, said that somebody said you look like her. So anyway, um, I... Uh, I went away that night feeling like I was the only failure. Everybody else in the room got, <laughs> seemed to get some sort of evidential information. So we, we drove around the UK, up to Scotland, and around and through Wales, and or down through Wales and back to London. Well, I decided I'm going to go back and try again. Uh, my wife decided to go shopping at um, um, can't even think of the name of the famous department store there anyway. But Harrods uh, or I went something. Bo- yeah, Harrods, Harrods. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went back for a three o'clock reading at the, the spiritual association this time with a different medium a elderly lady who came in with a walker she's about 80 years old and and uh she started the same way giving readings to other people and she came to me and she said there's somebody named george standing behind you oh, and he's no. got his hands on your shoulders and he's offering greetings and I, you know i shook my head again i don't know who who that would be and she then she she closed her eyes and she said she he's telling me he's a former colleague um and that he passed into spirit about 20 years ago of a blood related disease um and then she said a few other very you know evidential things something about he's glad you have a job now he's been around you in your office and he's glad you have a job you like, uh, it's still, you know, I, I still couldn't uh, get it to register. And it wasn't until I was going back to my hotel that it all came in, that there was uh, a fellow employee at, at a place I worked uh, some 20 years before um, named George. I'm not going to say his last name for privacy reasons, but um, he, he, after I left the company and went with another company, he, uh, he died. I, I, couldn't remember what he died of, but I, when I got back, to, came back to Hawaii, um, I called a mutual friend, and he said he died of leukemia, a blood-related mm-hmm. disease. Now people say, well, why? Why didn't the skeptic says why? You know, why didn't you just say leukemia? Why did you say blood-related disease? Because these, um, you know, clairvoyants—they're not getting. Uh, they're, they're usually getting it symbolically. So I don't know what the media might have seen. She might have seen a figure of a body with blood circulating through the body or something like that. They're not getting the word leukemia. And for the same reason, you know, he probably couldn't give his um, uh, last name um, because there's no symbol for his last name that, you know, at least any symbol that the medium knew. I I remember um, watching one of the um, um, George, no, John, John Edward um, mm-hmm. TV programs one time, and he, 
he said that when somebody named George came through, he'd see a picture of St. George on horseback. He had a, he had a symbolic picture to connect with various names. And so I guess that's what, you know, this meeting was doing. She, you know, she got George pretty easily, but she couldn't get a last name. But the skeptics don't seem to understand that they want, you know, they want him to be perfect. And, you know, they assume as they're like talking on a telephone to somebody and should be able to get uh, every little detail rather than just, you know, bits and pieces of information that might come through symbolically. So I can't even imagine behind the scenes how they implant the memories and names and feelings into mediums here. So Right, right. I, I, you know, and and it varies with the medium too. I mean, there's some clairaudient mediums who can get last names. They Mm -hmm. they actually hear them, Uh, but they're just, you know, such a variety of mediums out there that it's hard. You know, the the skeptics want them to all be the same and and all have the same ability. But I keep telling them it's like baseball players. I mean, you you have baseball players of, you know, you have Babe Ruth and you have, People who can't even make it to the majors, or, you know, are not good enough to make it. And then you have people in the major leagues who are not even close to the Babe Ruth type quality. Or since you're in Boston, I'll say Ted Williams or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, there's just various degrees of mediums with with different abilities, and they're not all the same. My mom always says, "What do you call the guy?" who graduated bottom of medical school? And the answer is doctor, <laughs> you know, all, <laughs> all different grades. Yeah. And just because they have the title medium does not mean that they're perfect. And I think, you know, we do the best we can. I, it's really great to know we do live on. We still are us and they're not too far away. And I think, I know for me, I live a different kind of life Believing in the afterlife, in the afterlife, do you feel the same way? How you live life yeah, is definitely. different. Yeah, yeah, uh, much more positive. And you know, one of the primary reasons I I write my books is to try and help people in their in their um, senior years, um, and that's when it hits home mostly. I mean, when you're young and you know, in a career and raising a family and so forth, you just don't have you don't give it that much thought. I I know I didn't. I mean, I, it wasn't until I turned, as I mentioned before, until I turned fifty that I think, you know, I get, you know, I'm I'm I get, I'm getting old. I've got to start thinking about this, and you know, it just comes gradually. And I I have so many friends who are, you know, in their seventies and eighties that uh, have just never given it any thought. Some of them are atheists, and some are, you know, Christians, and and um, they. You know, the, the Christians just it, thinking about my my parents are a good example. I mean, my mother was certain she was going to burn in purgatory for a few hundred years before she oh, ever no. got to heaven. You oh, know, no. so that that's that's what they were taught. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, and I don't want to put down a Catholic church. I you know, I, I if I were to return to a church, I'd return to the Catholic church before I become a Protestant, because they at least recognize a middle ground between heaven and hell. The, the Protestants, um, you know, it's either heaven or hell and, uh, no middle ground. I think that's the biggest thing that comes out of, uh, you know, mediumship and spiritualism is that there are many levels, uh, you know, between what religions call heaven and hell. And we don't go to you know, when we when we die, we don't go to the highest or the lowest. We go to whatever level we've prepared ourselves for. Um, 
Professor Robert Hare, um, who was a chemistry professor at the University of uh, Pennsylvania in the 1850s. He called it, or he was told by spirits, it's the best name for it is a moral specific gravity that, you know, all your good acts and all your bad acts or whatever you want to call them are all melded together at the end. And you, based upon that, you choose where you're going to go. You can't cheat on it. Uh, you can't say, well, I want to go to, you know, if we can put it on seven levels, which is sometimes done, that, that, that the lowest level is the the earthbound level or level one. And the pure, the, the true heaven is, is, um, seventh heaven and the seventh level if you can put it on on that basis then most people seem to go to the third level which which spiritualists call summerland um which you know that's probably better call purgatory if you want to you know call um the catholics purgatory um uh, by another name but um you know it's not a, f- a fire i mean my, when, when i was a young Catholic student, we were told that purgatory was just as bad as hell, except it wasn't eternal. I think that I think they're um, just avoiding. I, I've talked to other Catholics, uh, and they say you know, they just don't talk about it anymore. That, that they they don't know what purgatory is, and the Catholic Church doesn't talk about life after death as much as they used to. So I don't know. Hmm. Every so often we hear someone talking about it. I think there was a priest that wrote a book about the afterlife. Can't really remember off the top of my head, but there are some. And it's interesting about the skeptics. I, When I first got involved with this, I wanted to tell everybody what I found out. And then I realized there's so many skeptics that want to fight me on it. And it's not my job at all to try to prove something to people. There are more people a much higher percentage that do believe in the afterlife that are interested and they'll find us. And so that's why I thought, you know what, I'll have these great conversations with great people and I'll share with those who want to listen. Right. That That's my objective. Yeah. Cause we can't push anything on anyone. What yep. does the afterlife or Summerland, um, what is it like from the, research that you've done? I know you said the seven levels, but when we first get over, for me, I do believe that our loved ones are there and they're there to greet us. Uh, Do you have any thoughts for yourself from what you've gathered? Well, I I agree. I mean, the near-death experience tells us the same thing, that our loved ones are there to greet us and that it's much more um, like what we're experiencing here in the material world than we realize that the material world is just a replica of the spirit world i find that difficult to comprehend and i i, I um think the whole um idea of the spirit world is beyond human comprehension mm-hmm. I, so i don't really go there that much i'm satisfied to know that it's not just floating around in clouds and strumming harps and <laughs> Praising God, praising God 24-7 and, and, I mean, for eternity. I mean, you, you know, if, if that were the case, then, you know, total extinction would be preferable to me than, mm-hmm. you know, than, than doing that. And I, I think that's, you know, um, the problem with, with atheism. They don't, they, their, their beliefs are based upon what religion is taught. They don't know, you know, if you 
talk to any of them. Very few of them know about different levels between heaven and hell. I mean, they just know the heaven of that's been taught to them in church. And I, I think the worst, they, the, the, or the best, worst, whatever you want to call them, atheists are those who were brought up in strictly religious homes. Um, you know, they were, this stuff was drummed into them, and, and uh, they get old enough to, uh, you know, listen to some college professor that says, oh, none of that, you know, all that stuff taught to you by your parents was and priests and so forth was a bunch of baloney. So uh, they become the best atheists. Um, at least that's my, my observation. Mm. And it doesn't really matter because I think between you and me and those listening, once we get over there to the afterlife or hereafter, which I like using even more, we'll know. Right. Yeah. I think as a human being, Mike, it's really easy to live in the future and what if and what's going to happen. But someone wise once told me, because I'm 55 now, that everything I've done, like I've had the capacity to make decisions and to handle whatever comes my way. I have, Mm -hmm. I'm living proof of it. And as are you. So to spend any time worrying about how you're going to handle something, when like you say, I don't think human beings are meant to understand the bigger picture, we don't have the capacity for it. So to trust, Mm -hmm. once we get there, we'll handle it, it'll be okay. But I've talked to so many people who've had these near-death experiences. They say there's colors that we can't even fathom, but they could understand it with their consciousness or music or just the different levels of even being able to see almost like in a 360 degrees behind you, in front of you, to the sides of you. We'll be able to handle it when our time comes. Yeah. I, 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 you know, like reincarnation, um, uh, I just think it's beyond human comprehension. So I, you know, I, as I said, I recognize there's, I, I believe in reincarnation. I just not sure it plays out in the way that, um, um, people think it does or people who believe in it think it does. And the same thing with the afterlife, same thing with God. I think one of the biggest problems we have today is people think you have to prove God before you can look at the afterlife. Wow. Um, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. when you, when you go to these, um, debunking sites or the atheist sites that they, you know, it's always, there's got, you have proof of God. It's not proof of the afterlife. It's, it's sort of a deductive approach. They say, you know, you know, first you have to prove God, then we'll look at the afterlife. Well, my, my approach is the other way around. First, you look at the evidence of the afterlife and then you start thinking, well, what's behind it all? Is there a, God or a creative force or whatever behind it, uh, and is it the same kind of God that religions teach? I don't know. I'm mean, I'm satisfied that there's evidence that go that's overwhelming evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, whatever, however you want to put it, uh, that um, we do survive death. As mm-hmm. as far as you know, how it plays out, what it is, um, what God is, I don't know. I um, I still look to Jesus as sort of the, the chairman of the board on mm-hmm. the other side, whether he, whether he is, quote, God, whatever God is, I you know, it doesn't really make that much difference to me, you know. Um, and most of the other things the churches teach really, you know, the virgin birth and 
whatever else, I mean, like, what difference does it make? Uh, so I, I just, you know, first look at the evidence for survival, and that's that does it for me. The rest of it, you know, I'll, I'll perhaps find out later. I mean, many of the spirit communicators say they've never seen God, never talked to God. They believe that, you know, God is far beyond. They've got a lot of, you know, a long ways to go before they ever understand God. So I'm, I'm prepared to accept that. Mm-hmm. They see a light most often yep. and unconditional love, which I can't even imagine how good that's going to feel. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be just great. Well, we have a few minutes left, my new friend. Any thoughts coming to mind? What else you'd like to share? Um, well, I, I, I do write a blog. Um, okay. And, uh, and I've got about almost 300 uh, blogs posted over the last uh, 11 and a half years, I think. Uh, and uh, if anybody's interested in it, they can... Uh, just put my name into a Google search, and maybe I should, you know, spell my name. As, as I said before, it's not T I M; it's it's T Y M N. And a little little story behind that I'll give is my when my grandfather came from um, Ukraine to uh, Brooklyn, uh, the name was Timchishin, T Y M C Z Y S E Y N. Wow, that's and, a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> nobody could uh, pronounce it, and it was always spelled wrong, and so forth. So he was sit- sitting in church one day, and saw the word hymn, H-Y-M-N, up there. The hymns were going to be sung that day. Uh, so he said, well, that, that, that's close to my name. And, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll make it Tim instead of him. And uh, so that's what he and his brothers agreed. The name will be Tim. And, and uh, they changed it, but people still messed it up. I mean, it comes out as time or timing, uh, whatever. Um, so... If you're looking for my blog or my books, if you put Michael Tim T Y M N into a Google search, you'll you'll find them. But uh, anyway, I had to get that in. Oh yeah, it's great. And if you're listening to this on YouTube right now, in the description there is a live link to go check it out because you are published with mm-hmm. White Crow Books, right? White Crow Books has published uh, six of my books. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. I had thought of something great to say, and I've lost it. No, I haven't. It just came back. <laughs> See what happens when we get older? You couldn't remember <laughs> your things. It it just happens. We remember what's important to us. We'll see it again. There's a great quote by Arthur Schopenhauer that something like, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Secondly, it is violently opposed. And third, is it is accepted as being self-evident. And... I think that the day will come, Mike, that people will believe in the afterlife like it's always been real. You know, it'll be like, you know, people laughed at the airplane when that was first coming about and so many other things that are ridiculed. And then it's like, oh, yeah, it's always been. Do you think that will happen? Maybe not in our lifetimes, but maybe that more people will believe than don't. I think more people will, but I'm not sure that, you know, we're supposed to know with absolute certainty that the afterlife uh, does exist. I've I've often quoted um, uh, Victor Hugo on that, uh, and I don't have the quote right before me. I thought I had it here, but uh, he was communicating after he was in exile on the island of Jersey, or, you know, I think it was, um, um, he was communicating with... um, 
spirit, that was the spirit of Martin Luther. And Hugo asked Luther, he says, why doesn't God better reveal himself? Why is there so much, so much mystery? And Luther responded that doubt is necessary for us to um, learn, you know, to overcome adversity. If we knew definitely that there is a God, that there is an afterlife, we, we might not act that free will would not play out in the same way it plays out right now. So that doubt is a big part of the divine plan. If you, if everybody knew no more doubt, I, you know, I don't know what would happen if it all, you know, if during per- periods of, uh, adversity, they'd all kill themselves or whatever. Um, I don't know what happened or how, how, you know, what would happen or how things would play out differently. But uh, that's what Martin Luther supposedly told Victor Hugo, that doubt is necessary. Yeah, good words. I I know for myself, to Mm -hmm. go on my journey has made all the difference in the world. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to believe what somebody told me. I learned these things. I investigated it, for me, it's been 25 years now, and there's not a single soul who can tell me anything else because I've had these experiences. So while I don't push it on anyone, you know, I do get some funny looks like, tell me everything. Why should I believe? I'm like, can't do it. <laughs> I can give you some, but you yeah, got to go on yeah. your journey. And I think at some point when we get older or if a loved one passes, we really start to look at that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you for being our guest today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Time flew by. And for our listeners, thank you, too, for being with us. You may or may not know, we've got a lot of things happening online ever since COVID hit the world. Uh, we started doing a lot of things, mediumship classes, psychic classes, trance demonstrations every Friday. And then our Sunday gathering is not to be missed. It is a spiritual service with some prayers, with music, with a reading, with an address, but in each and every one is a mediumship demonstration. And we've got a couple of great mediums that work with our online audience and to see the reunions that happen. It's just beautiful. So there's a free way to get involved. Our home base is wedontdie.com. If you scroll down to the bottom and you join my email list, there's a free copy of my book, We Don't Die, in PDF form if you'd like it. And there's also a very healing audio called How to Survive Grief. Grief is what brought me into this conversation, the death of some loved ones and got me sharing what I know about the afterlife. And I found out that grief is a monster that we all go through, but there are ways to navigate it and deal with it. It's a process that we go through. So also chapter 10 of my book is How to Survive Grief. So in closing, I want to say thank you again to our friend, Michael Tim. T-Y-M-N. And to you, our listener, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. I know I want to re-listen to this episode and jot down some of the names that Mike talked about and research some of those folks between that lived between the uh, 50s and 1920 and or that range anyways, and do some research. There's so much and so many brilliant minds came together and witnessed a form of mediumship that is very, very rare here for us in 2021. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.